Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Hi, this is Sabrina, and I am so happy to welcome our guest reporter today, Rosie Starr. She will be speaking to Monique Millison and Skye Ballantyne from Ant Hill Farm Agroforestry. They are dedicated to creating biodiverse food production systems. They are nestled between the Pocono and Catskill Mountains in this Delaware River Valley region where I live. And Ant Hill is a 35-acre agroforestry operation in northeastern Pennsylvania. They are dedicated to creating biodiverse food production systems. And we're going to learn more about agroforestry design and how it mimics the most dynamic, biologically productive state of ecological succession. What does this mean? They will be speaking to Rosie about their plantings, the way they work within their land, how they plant trees, the kinds of trees, what kinds of foods they grow, and their hemp production. They will discuss the history of hemp and its current uses. As they say, agroforestry blends annual production in the alleyways between production in perennial rows. The systems are spatially designed for the greatest photosynthetic capture and maximum biodiversity production. So how does this address the climate catastrophe that we are faced with now? I welcome you to sit back and enjoy the conversation with Rosie Starr and the team of Ant Hill Farm Agroforestry, Monique Millison, and to Sky Ballantyne. Hi, my name's Sky Ballantyne, and um, how did I get into farming? It wasn't in my background at all. I think uh, I got into it because I didn't know what else to do with myself and I wanted to do something that I believed was uh, would have a positive impact on ecologically and then also something that would uh, provide a, you know a healthy source of food and nutrients for people I thought it was like kind of a very synergistic undertaking you know in terms of like what I cared about that's where I got started. I, I, I didn't have it in my background at all. I, I did some gardening with my parents when I was younger. What is your location here and what inspired you to grow your products that you have? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we're in northeastern Pennsylvania, so about two hours from New York City, born here. Um, I have I lived in New York as well, went to middle school and high school there. Being um, here in the Northeast, Northeastern Pennsylvania, the, the greater Northeast, we can grow certain things pretty well here. There's a lot of challenges, but uh, we found that hemp is a pretty good product for around here. You know, it still has challenges, particularly with uh, a humid environment and trying to mature flowers. And in addition to hemp, we also have, a, you know, this agroforestry system that incorporates, a, you know, a lot of different types of plants, food producing plants, into a kind of more uh, integrated environment. 
and uh, we also incorporate a lot of native plants as well to provide ecosystem services as well as food production which is like human services that's pretty much what we've created here over the past 13 14 years hemp has been you know pretty helpful it's it's allowed uh, my wife to get creative in, in, in coming up with a lot of different products and create this product line that in also incorporates a lot of the plants that exist on this land. We do grow some other, some herbs for, for the products as well. So what's cool is it, it sort of incorporates everything that we're doing, you know, a product line that has medicinal products. We're able to use a lot of the plants. It seems as though in contemporary times, hemp is considered to be an agricultural product. Do you know of any history? Has it ever been used or thought of as an agricultural product? Oh, God, yeah. You know, people often forget how much it was used in the past for medicine, but I think even more primarily for industrial uses, uh, products. Rope was a huge one. Everyone was growing hemp for certain wartime mobilizations or when there was a need for fibers for sails and ropes and things like that. I think it is one of the most useful plants on the planet, and it has sort of been frowned upon for a long time. But I think that's changing, and, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. I've, I've been a huge advocate for a long time, you know, not just from a medicinal standpoint, but from also from, like, uh, an industrial application standpoint where, you know, there's a lot of cool products that can be made from hemp and, and um, you know, just like a raw material. So really excited to see it come out of the shadows and back onto the scene. Yeah, I agree with you. I have bought hemp shoes. I once bought a futon and the cover was made out of hemp. I'd like to see more of that. Do you see more of that coming, like to use it for clothing? Yeah, except my, my shoes right now have some hemp in them. I think it's, it's going to happen. I mean, material sciences have not developed. Like everyone's just using plastic for everything, you know? It's like there's other things besides, like, petrochemical plastic. I think the use of things like certain natural fibers, carbon fibers, and things like that. I'm pretty passionate about trying to find, you know, other non-petrochemical, you know, materials for making things. You know, it's just like, you know, people didn't really put a lot of effort there was just such a an abundance of that material <laughs> and people were just looking for things to do with you know so we just everything got made out of plastic for like 50 years or 75 years or something like that yeah i agree with you the way out of uh consuming so much plastic and to reduce that problem is to design products made with sustainable material. So I, I honor that. It's a little confusing to me that you mentioned, yes, we are in this humid climate of Pennsylvania. What, no matter what season it is, there's a lot of moisture here. But didn't traditionally hemp and marijuana always grow in like a jungle atmosphere? It was humid, but you seem to think that it's challenging that aspect of it. In this climate, there used to be something called ditchweed, which is just hemp that from you know the products that people were people were growing hemp all over the place and so there was just hemp that would seed in the ditches but over the course of the last 50 years you know the it was pretty much all eradicated you can still find it from you know from time to time and i think you know we'll start seeing it more and more as now it's sort of coming back out of the shadows but like hemp can grow pretty much anywhere just cannabis like wild uh, naturalized cannabis can grow anywhere now if you want product from these bread varieties 
you know, you're going to start running into certain issues based on how they've been developed and bred. You know, it's a super adaptable plant. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me and with such um, knowledge about what you're doing. We appreciate what you're doing for our environment and the community. Thank you, Rosie. We're at Anhel Farm at a agroforestry tour with uh, Monique and Skye. Hi, my name is Monique Millison, and I am married to Skye Ballantyne, and we have the Anhel Farm together. I got involved uh, with the Anhill Farm pretty early on, and I would say I mostly got involved because Sky and I started dating. But as soon as I saw this place, I was just so inspired by its uh, magical property and what he and his brother had kind of started that year, which was growing vegetables. And I was working for an artist. I have a artistic background. I went to school for painting and sculpture. So I've always had a real appreciation of the outdoors and beauty. And I was working up here and I actually got into doing some cooking for an artist, Mildred's Lane, over in uh, Beach Lake, Pennsylvania. And so I was doing some cooking for her and shopping and things like that for a summer residency artist workshop program that she holds there. So I started shopping at the farmer's market and met Skye and uh, got introduced to the farm. From there on out, I was like, all right, we're getting our vegetables here, you know, all this really good organic produce. So I think for me, I really came at it from the angle of um, really wanting and discovering um, where my food came from and uh, just being super inspired to cook with all the different products that you know, they grew here at the farm. At the time, that was vegetables. And then as I became more involved in the farm and uh, started living here and we started a family together, we started uh, planting a lot of trees, primarily fruit trees and nut trees and things like that. And, you know, I don't have a farming background, but I come from very food background. And, you know, shopping at farmer's markets was always something that just like I started feeling more connected to the food. It was more inspiring for me. It was like a palette for an artist. And that's kind of where I came from art, then to cooking and then to farming. And I quickly realized with farming that it's highly, highly creative, but you're working on a level with the plants and your season planning as sort of your palette, if you will, ingredients that you're going to have throughout the season. And you're kind of thinking just uh, the planning element and on all the levels about like the soil and the ecology around it. And I really learned a lot from Sky and then also being a part of like our pasta chapter from other farmers and going to conferences and really understanding like the ecological impact that commercial farming is having and conventional farming can have on the environment and understanding like the kind of destructive aspect And I remember seeing that in college with like, you know, kind of these chicken farms and like there would be spraying Roundup on corn and things like that. And just feeling like a negative feeling about that and and really seeing kind of in reading and researching about like the devastation that that can cause and people's health. And then just in the communities that have to harvest and deal with that kind of production, getting involved with like a small scale organic farm and learning how to farm and grow my own food and grow it for my community was very healing and really uh, nourishing on the soul level for me. And then the last couple of years when hemp came around and became available to grow, we kind of jumped at that. It was something like Sky had always said, like, well, you know, if marijuana ever legalizes or hemp, I would love to grow it. It would always been just sort of 
a part of the puzzle that we imagined, well, maybe someday we'll grow hemp too. What we didn't realize is that it would sort of uh, end up eclipsing or replacing vegetables for us and become sort of our primary row crop. But the way that our land works, it felt like trees and maybe the hemp would be like a better combination. You know, as time went on, more people started growing vegetables and things like that in the area. So it kind of felt like the need wasn't there as much. Hemp is like a crop that I really fell in love with. And I had to adapt and learn a lot about it to be able to like grow it and work with it. You know, I had some experience using marijuana in my youth, but I never had really tried CBD. It wasn't really available on the market until the last four or five years. And using that, I sort of realized that, you know, this is a wonderful medicine and it actually really worked much better for my body and my mind. When you're farming, you're basically using your body as a big part of your tool you experience and you go through a lot of aches and pains, strains, things like that. So I found that CBD was just like super helpful for that. And I just had this respect for the the calming energy that it brought. But I didn't really know anything about that until we started growing it and just being like, wow, this powerful, wonderful plant that's been basically prohibited for so many years. And, you know, look how wonderful it is. We've had a great time growing it. We've had challenges, too. We had to, you know, do some financial investment to kind of get into it. Um, it's not super prohibitive in terms of the permitting, but a lot of testing and lab fees and things like that that you don't really see coming when you first get into you know, any business, but particularly hemp, CBD has a lot of like, you know, back end kind of expenses and things like that that you have to account for. And yeah, we've had to sort of adapt our operation around that, but we've had some plenty of things that we've been able to repurpose, like a walk in in our barn for drying where we used to dry garlic. And then we used, you know, some of the similar racks and systems to dry the hemp and fans and things like that. So it's kind of been a learning curve, but it's also in some ways, it's been like a pretty smooth transition in terms of our like facilities and things like that. You're a wealth of knowledge and you speak with such respect about your life and what you know here for the environment and the community. You have fruit trees and now this hemp product. Is there something special about this farm, the land itself or the location? Do you know anything about the history Yeah, this farm was uh, formerly a dairy farm. When we started farming here, they had sold off their dairy probably like four or five years back. And so it was had a little bit of a rundown feeling. But I think when um, Sky and his siblings bought the property, from what I've heard, it was like they came here and they just really felt a positive feeling about the place. And I think that when they walked up to the top of the hill, it was just like this beautiful view And you just kind of felt like this, wow, this is sort of like this inspiring place. And I continue to feel that, especially as we've put so much care into the place and, you know, we've grown our family here and planted all these trees and basically uh, created a future that in plants that, you know, may outlive us, you know, and seeing like this kind of building something that could be multi-generational. It has a really special feeling for me. And, you know, I have so much respect for this place. It's basically taught me so much. There's nothing like the school of life for really teaching you the the important lessons. When you get into farming, you know, you think like, 
its abundance and, you know, and you think about like the harvest and stuff like that. And especially having not grown up with a farming background, I don't think I really realized the scope of the heartbreak that you can feel for plants and for a, a place. It's like every year you're, it's almost like you're starting a business from scratch. With the trees, you're building something from scratch that's then going to pay off in maybe, you know, five to six years from now. And you're really, um, you're in this kind of waiting game, this patience, this constant careful care and checking in with things. And, you know, it's really taught me that, you know, as humans, we can really be in relationship with the earth in a very connected and deep level. But when we're driving around in our cars and we're sitting in our houses, you don't feel that intense connection and that, um, especially with farming, I guess it's like a pressure to care. It is like having like many children at the same time also being the child and the one who's being nourished and cared for in return. It's been a very um, interesting road and path to take. It's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Not for the faint of heart because there are many challenges that farmers face in this current environment. 2022, with all we've been through on the planet and in this community, what would you say are your most highlighted concerns and challenges with what you grow here, your fruit trees and your hemp plants? Yeah, I would say for me, my primary concern, and it's been very much put on a a back burner uh, politically, unfortunately, has been climate change. You know, as as a farmer and someone who makes their living from the land, whether it be from hemp or fruit, climate change is a huge, huge thing. We are fortunate in our area. You know, we're not under a giant uh, heat dome like in Texas right now or um, experiencing extreme uh, wildfires. But the shifting of temperatures in the spring, summer coming more abruptly and, and fast, uh, we are experiencing drought right now. All those things are are all connected to the climate of the world and, you know, uh, things going on that are seem more extreme in the West. While they may feel a little more tempered here, it's very vegetative, it's very moderate as things go. Warming winters or just extreme ice events and things like that, they cause a lot of damage. You see it, and we've seen things change in just the 14 years that we've been here, where you could uh, plan on planting it. In May, things have been pushed back. And, you know, that may seem like the opposite, like it's not warming, it's cooling. But having these longer, cooler springs and then erratic frost can damage, like, trees and fruit crops and stuff like that. So, you know, that is something that I've observed over the years and seen in action is that it is happening, you know, it's happening everywhere and in very different ways. And that, you know, sometimes... Well, it may be like, oh, it's not happening here in the Northeast. Well, you know, it's happening in different ways. And, you know, having that, a deeper connection with the land, you can really see the the effects of that. Pest and disease has been a big issue. You know, watching the the ash trees die this past couple of years has been very, like, disheartening. While it's not a crop of ours, it makes me um, concerned for other fruit crops and things like that over the years. We've had garlic crops be taken out by nematodes and things like that. And you realize just like it's kind of like COVID-19 in that way. We are going through a time when disease and it goes across the board from like plants to humans to animals where we are really susceptible and we're 
the immune system of the earth and therefore its um, inhabitants is weakened. And because of globalization, you know, you have things that are coming so fast and furious that, you know, people don't have time to adapt. The plants don't have time to build up immunity or work within their forest network to get the information on how to heal themselves or protect themselves against these diseases or insects. So it's kind of an interesting comparison because it's like, okay, you know, we had COVID-19, but then ash trees were like out there, you know, getting um, blasted by the emerald ash borer. There's all kinds of things like that, that you feel like this slow march, like, oh, well, maybe all our hemlocks may disappear in the next few years. And that's like such a tremendous loss. I think, you know, as a mother and like as a farmer and someone who's just like highly concerned about like our earth, it's just like grappling with like this kind of these bigger losses, like both in our communities with COVID and like just the uncertainty of our future, but you just like the environmental impacts of like some of these plant diseases, which it's all very wrapped up in climate change because, you know, as climates change, the winters aren't killing off these insects and these diseases and everything's accelerated and it's advancing. It's very concerning. I feel like we're doing the right thing. You know, we're doing the biodiversity plantings. We're trying to get more natives out there, trying to, you know, create more healthy environments. But feels like you're really up against, you know, a pretty steep climb. Yes, you do have an awareness of the big picture and the little picture. And you do have fruit trees. And I understand that there's a concern about the spotted lanternfly. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had to worry about that on this property? We have been monitoring for them. We're out there pretty often throughout this time of year from pruning to thinning and uh, harvesting. I have not sighted any. I know there have been sightings. You know, when I first heard about them, I was like very much like, oh, red flag, this could be really bad. We haven't found that yet, especially being organic. You know, there are some sprays and things like that that you can use, like pyrethrin and things like that. It's not something we usually use heavily, and it would be quite expensive if we really had to do sort of an extermination level use of it. Uh, You know, it's not a persistent pesticide, but just the same, you know, we we try not to use that stuff unless, you know, we have a really, um, you know, a bad case of something. Over the years, we do use different, like a probiotic or prebiotic sort of spray um, where we do these compost teas. We try to boost the tree's like immune, natural immunity against, you know, different fungal and bacterial things. And it should help the trees cope with something like a spotted lanternfly. But, you know, if you get enough numbers and they really defoliate a plant, it could be be extremely damaging. So, you know, we're hoping that we don't see it here, but I'm sure at some point we probably will see some. I think they do have like traps and stuff like that. So we're hoping that hopefully we'll be able to kind of uh, weather that if it comes. But yeah, it's definitely a concern. It's very impressive what you and Sky are doing and the way you speak. And you've turned your agricultural crop of hemp into some very therapeutic and impressive products. 
Just give a little bit of your wisdom about how you feel, how that is beneficial to the community, your products. Yeah, so Start created the product line in 2018, and we started out with just um, like the hemp flower and uh, pre-rolls. And then, um, you know, we've added like an extract, like an oral tincture. And then I started make, getting into making like different salves and body oils. Um, and then like our tea line, which I've really enjoyed bringing in other herbs from our farm and um, wild herbs from around the property, utilizing those. I wouldn't call myself an herbalist, but I've definitely studied about herbs quite a bit and have a real respect for them as medicine. And I've worked with friends like Nathaniel Whitmore over the years to learn more about different herbs and like how to use them. And that's like been like a real interest or a hobby of mine. And when we started growing hemp, I sort of started researching hemp and CBD in the way I would, you know, have approached like another herb that I was interested in, say like nettles or hops or something like that's growing right around us right now. And in sort of just seeing like, okay, well, you know, what are the beneficial properties and, you know, how do I treat it? How would I like go about making a tincture? You know, what's the best way? So I I had some experience making salves and oils and things like that for the home. Like I would make like calendula salve for like cuts and scrapes for the kids and um, play with making like some arnica tincture for adding to salves and ointments. So I had some background doing that, but exploring CBD, I really found that we're growing this crop commercially. Okay, let's do a line. Seemed like uh, value added would be like a great route because, you know, you have so much, aside from just growing the flower, when you trim it, there's so much excess left over. And so, you know, at first it was just using that to make the oils for salves. And then like the leaves and the little bits are great for tea because you don't really need you know, the flower part of it for that, it's, there's plenty in there to, to infuse. So it was kind of like, okay, what do we do with the sort of the side product of uh, the CBD flower that we might sell wholesale um, or, you know, in retail in jars, but that's kind of turned into maybe like the bulk of what I'm doing product wise. There just seems to be like a real market for the kind of like pain relief side of things. And then the extracts are so great for like sleep and anxiety and you know inflammation things like that I've had to just do like a lot of reading and research over the years and because people will ask you all kinds of questions I find about like oh will it help with this condition I have neuropathy you know I have uh, depression do you think and gosh I'm not a doctor or pharmacist or any of that stuff so really just kind of trying to read up and, and learn about what it can do learn about dosing and just putting a lot of thought and care into like, you know, how I make the products, try to use all organic ingredients. The products themselves aren't certified organic because it's just a very long process doing certifying products and things like that. But, you know, the farm is certified. All that kind of stuff is big investment of time and and money to, to get things to that point. You are certified inspiration. At your young age, and you and your husband, Skye, you give a sense of hope and trust for the previous generations that you care for the land and um, you're moving forward in the now and into the near future. Mm -hmm. Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to say? If you'd like to give your website so people could learn more about agroforestry and the things that you do. Sure. So we have a website. You can find more information about the, the farm and what we do here. 
and our biodiversity plantings, which has become a big part over the years. So our website is www.anthillagroforestry.com. Yeah, please sign up for our email list. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Ant Hill Farm, Ant Hill Agroforestry. Just look us up. We post pretty often. Thank you so much for taking the precious time to enrich our lives. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so nice meeting you. This is Rosie Starr at Ann Hill Farm at a farm tour. Sky Ballantyne and Monique have been very gracious hosts, giving us a tour of their farm and all that they do here. Thanks again, Rosie, for your conversation at the farm tour at Ant Hill Farm Agroforestry. To find out more, please visit anthillagroforestry.com. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels.